Welcome to In Season, where we explore the farms, gardens, and wild spaces of the lower Columbia Pacific region. I'm Teresa Retzloff, and I am so excited today to be talking again with Jessica Schleich. Hey, Jessica. <laughs> Teresa, hi. How hi. are you? I'm doing well. Um, I'm enjoying sitting in your sunny front room, uh, enjoying some sunshine after an awful lot of rain that we've had. It has been um, very rainy. Things switched very quickly. I'm always happy to get to come on the show with you. It's so fun. And it's fun, I, to, fun to have a chit chat. We're having tea right. and, a gar- and a garden this time of year chit chat. It's lovely. It's autumn and, uh, and there's so many good things to do this time of year and things to plant. Um, oftentimes people get excited about planting in the spring, but I always think autumn is, is really the, like a phenomenally good time to plant certain plants perennials especially perennials especially trees shrubs Mm -hmm. and bulbs bulbs and it's um you know but the i would say the ideal time for planting bulbs is it's usually like october november is when that window is maybe anywhere from like between mid-september to Mm -hmm. late november i feel like you can always kind of push it I mean, you may not get the best display, but sometimes you get something, you know. Teresa, is it too late to plant garlic? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I only (laughs) just got mine. It's, well, it's, what, almost mid-November now. I just got my last few beds planted maybe a week ago. I mean, and a lot of that was weather. You know, it suddenly became very wet. It was too wet to work the soil. And, you know, timing is everything with garlic. You don't want to be planting it in a downpour. It's good to, I think, always think it's good to get it in the ground before we get our first really hard freeze or a killing frost, but okay. that hasn't really happened. No, it hasn't happened. Yeah. We did have, like... we had some cold, cold weather in early October. Um, that's when all my dahlias pretty much stopped. But, you know, I think there's still time. And Talk that... to me about how you prep for your garlic and how, and how you're thinking about selecting varieties around here. Well, we've been, I've been selecting a number of varieties um, over the years and then slowly narrowed it down to ones that I like to grow that um, that seem to do well where we get like good sized bulbs, good sized cloves, you know, a healthy yield for them. And then I look also, you know, just for ones that thrive here. So I've definitely tried and dropped ones over the years. This year I'm doing some trials of some new varieties I'm really excited about. Um, there's primarily, there's two kinds of garlic. Um, there's hard neck and soft neck and hard neck varieties, um, mainly are called that because the stem that they put up is hard. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it's not real floppy and, um, they tend to have bigger cloves, bigger individual cloves and they're incredible variety in the hard neck family and lots of different sort of varieties within that. They don't tend to store as long as the soft neck varieties. Soft neck garlics are more what you see in the grocery store. Okay. And they're also ones that if you like to make garlic braids or you want to learn how to make garlic braids, soft neck soft neck varieties are the ones that you want okay. to look for because they have those pliable stems that, that you could put into a braid. There's pros and cons for both of them, and we grow both. I grow some soft neck varieties and some hard neck varieties. Um, ones that I've had really good luck with um, in the soft neck world, um, Nootka Rose is mm-hmm. one that I really like to grow. Um, I'm trialing one called St. Helens this year, so I'll let you know about that one, but I've heard really good things about it, so I'm excited about it. Um, some of the, the hard neck varieties 
that have done super well for us on our farm. Um, there's one that's widely known as Chesnock Red. Um, and I know it goes, it goes by a couple of other names, um, but it's mostly available as Chesnock Red. A really high yielder for us, a really good flavor. Another one called Armenian. We grow Purple Glazer and, um, oh, I forget the last one. Um, well, anyway, it'll come to me. But um, but again, there's there's tons out there, and I think just experimenting with what grows well for you um, is good. And then for bed prep, I, I do pretty extensive prep on the garlic beds because I look at it also as an opportunity to really, they're going to be in there for a while. You plant them in the fall, and you don't harvest them until summer, like until July. Mm-hmm. So you really need to get get your amendments and get your fertility in there at the beginning. And then you can do some some side dressing with fertilizer or foliar feed. I do a lot of foliar feeding of them throughout their growing season. But in the fall, what I do is, you know, weed the beds, you know, make sure they're pretty clean mm-hmm. because you just don't want, weeding garlic is terrible. Yeah, that competition can really affect it It also. really does. And it, that will really affect the size of the bulbs that you get. And then you, I put down um, for amendments, I, you know, I do some lime because we always lime in the fall. I do some all-purpose fertilizer, which we make our own mix, and it has, you know, like a, like a linseed meal or cottonseed meal, if you feather meal. If you weren't mm-hmm. going to make your own mix, do you have a recommendation for... Um, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, a good all-purpose fertilizer. Yeah. I know. Thank you for saying that. Because not everyone's going <laughs> to no, go buy 50-pound bags exactly. of bone meal and everything else and do this. Um, I was just a good all-purpose organic fertilizer, something that's a slow release. Something um, that's available locally. I think I've been yeah. using the Life, Dr. Earth's mm-hmm. Life fertilizer. Yep. Those are fine. You know, those they, they have a, a nice spectrum of things that you can add. And I always add a bit of extra bone meal um, mm-hmm. because that is good for... Um, bulbing things roots and bulbing things and for flowers and it's you know I, I don't whether it makes a difference or not it's just one of those things that I, I do and at this point it's been working so I'm not right. gonna mess with it. right you know um I know some people have problems with bone meal because uh you know they're looking for a vegan alternative so they don't or it's like sometimes bone meal makes people feel uncomfortable because it's coming from you know abattoirs and you know it's a byproduct of the meat industry clearly so that may not always they be They can get him. extra paranoid like me and be afraid of Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease. <laughs> you and, you know, these are all you know, valid concerns. Um, I look for organic bone meal. So mm-hmm. I know it's coming from an organic sure. animal. Um, so the odds of that at least being somewhat better yes. raised are there. Um, but having said that, I, I totally understand and respect people's concerns and you know I would just say if that that is a concern for you do a little research online for like alternatives vegan alternatives to bone meal would be the way to search sure and and find things that you know maybe are within your comfort zone as alternatives but for me like a mix of those things really helps kind of set the plants up and then um, I put down we put down a, a, a thick layer of aged manure so we get um we get large piles of manure delivered from uh, uh, Brown, Dirk Rohn from his Brownsmead Turbo Grow, which I love that stuff. And that's, so good. that's a washed dairy manure. It's a washed dairy manure. And, um, and it's, I, I don't know if he's, he's not certified organic. I'm not no, sure. But it they're is. not, but he doesn't use yeah, antibiotics exactly. and things like that. I mean, his, I, I really feel good about his manure. 
And um, I've also used it for years. Yeah. And if you're in the know in the gardening world, Turbo Grow is a thing in Gladstone County. Oh yeah, it's, thank you, Dirk Grow. It's the <laughs> best. But don't buy it all because I need a lot of it. Yeah, <laughs> same. <laughs> Make sure I always have plenty, and then you guys can have more. Um, and it, you know, what's kind of uh, what's lovely about it is, I mean, I, also I would say. If you know you're going to be planting, you're wanting it in the fall, say, to be amending your beds and stuff like that, try and get some months before because you want sure. it to compost. You don't want to be putting the fresh, fresh, just out of the cow manure on your beds. It's better if it's if it's sat for a while and, you know, allowed to compost and break down some, um, partly just because it's much more pleasant to put out. I have to say, like, I've put out some fresh manure. When it's in hot, it's, it's, it has you know, a smell to I mean, it. <laughs> it. But, it, you know, not as bad as, I mean, the wash manure is, is phenomenal compared to, like, other stuff that I've used yeah. in the past. So I, I will say that it's, Chicken not, manure. it's not as bad. Ooh. But, um, so we put out a thick layer of that, and then I put a nice top dressing of compost on top of that. And, and the compost on top of that, in, in a lot of ways, is, is just to help prevent erosion and prevent from it washing away, which I'm wishing I'd put a thicker layer out right before we got all this rain because it's already starting to break down yeah. and wash away, so I'm yeah. gonna put more out. Um, so we have a nice thick bed. I mean, it's, it's you know like a foot of material on there. And then I use a stick to go along and make holes, and we do them. I think I space them about three inches apart, um, in in rows that are maybe six inches apart. So that's a single clove, and yeah. So you so you take a head of garlic, and you crack you it. Don't have to peel it. No, nope, don't peel it. Um, <laughs> crack it into individual cloves, and you know you can plant all of them, but I tend to go for the ones that are the biggest, healthiest looking cloves in a head because that's oh. you know kind of the genetics you want to you want to sure take the best looking cloves you don't want to take any that look damaged or rotten or any you know any marks on them or anything really go for the best looking ones and if there's little ones in the head that you don't want to that you know seem kind of small and fiddly just eat those mm-hmm. you know and and plant the best and then that's you know when we save them the next year i always go through the harvest and the very best looking heads we don't sell or eat those are the ones that we use to plant the next year. So you're using that for your seed. Yeah, garlic. you're always trying to save the best looking ones um, to use to, to keep carrying on because clearly those are the ones that are the strongest. Yeah, you're pulling out the yeah, good genetics. Absolutely. So um, we so we plant them. Oh gosh, I mean, like a rule of thumb with bulbs is like twice as deep as they are three times three times for for, for flower bulbs. Well, but it ends up being about that. I mean, I probably I it's not. I'm not scientific. You know, I take a stick and kind of make a hole. Sure. And I'm making so many holes. And then sometimes is... it's me coming along. Sometimes it's a friend coming along afterwards and, like, actually planting the the cloves. And sure. you plant them with the pointy side up and then cover it all up and let them sit. And eventually, usually it takes a month or two for them to emerge. Mm-hmm. It sort of depends on the weather. It depends on lots of different things. But... At some point, you'll look over and realize, oh, hey, there's garlic coming up. And um, just let it go. I mean, again, keep it weeded. Let them keep growing. Usually late winter, early spring, like when the days start to warm up, is when I might do my first foliar feed. And I just do a mix of, like, kelp and fish emulsion um, and just put it in my backpack sprayer. And and what's that do? What's the foliar feeding doing? Foliar for feeding them? is it's just a way of fertilizing 
that um, plants absorb fertilizer through their leaves as well as through their roots. And for me, it's, it's an, especially once the garlic's all grown in, it's a lot harder to put out like a, a, a granular fertilizer and then scuff it in when all the heads are, it's already establishing on in the ground. So for me, a foliar feed is just a way that I, I periodically feed them. And, you know, ideally I would be doing that once a week, but, you know, in reality, it's maybe every other week or every three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like giving it that really good boost of fertilizer in the beginning is what really sets them up for, uh, growing well and I mean all I can say is it's been working this last year we actually didn't have as great a harvest as we've had in the past but that was more because I think of weather conditions we had very wet May like a kind of a wet cooler May when the plants would be putting on a big burst of growth then so they were slower to put on that growth and then they were just putting up their garlic scapes so this is another thing with garlic they put up like a flowering stem. It's kind of curly. Kind of curly. It's usually like our May. And you'll see them come up and then they'll start to kind of loop around almost like a little corkscrew. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to snap those off. Because those are going to form. They would form flowers. Right. So eventually what they would do is straighten out and bloom and it mm-hmm. would look like an allium flower. They're very beautiful. Yeah, um, I let some go. Just and for the heck and of it's it. gorgeous, you know, if you want to do that. But. But if you let them flower, the plant is putting more energy yes. into making the flower and not yeah. into the bulb. So if you're what you're really after are the garlic heads, you want to snap those off. They're delicious. You can make pesto. You can make pesto of them. Just like chop the, the stem up. They're, it's almost like a really garlicky green bean if you saute mm-hmm. them. They're phenomenal. Look up recipes or for asparagus garlic Or asparagus. Yeah. They're, they're really tasty. Great pickle, too, yeah. for a Bloody Mary. Oh, they're just delicious. So it's another reason to grow garlic. There's like a multi, multi-crop. Um, but then um, you want to let them go for a bit after that mm-hmm. um, to really... You see some of the outer leaves dying back. And this is something that I learned a few years ago from uh, Chip Bubel, our uh, Columbia County Extension agent, because I was always waiting for the whole plant to really die back Same. and fall over. And what he taught me was you really just need like like three or four of the outer leaves to have died back, and then it's okay to harvest it. And a reason to do that is because if you wait until the whole plant is dying back sometimes it's it's gone too far and the and the head will start to split it'll start to open mm-hmm. up and then it really isn't going to store as long you can eat it pretty quickly but um that like especially for me as it's a crop i'm trying to sell it's not it's not good anymore that that's family garlic yeah you know uh so harvesting it sooner is is better but you want to give it i mean i try to give it like a month I'm usually looking to harvest in early to mid-July. Right. But this past year, we had that heat burst in early June, which was crazy. It was, I want to say it was like 108, 111 yeah. out of our farm. It was yep. a crazy day. And all of, we had just cut all the scapes off, and all of the plants 
were, it died. All the greenery basically died back. And then oh, wow. right after that heat burst, I don't know if you remember, but it started raining. Yes. And then, yes. so rain, when, if once your garlic has died back or is dying yeah, back. Yeah, you, you need you, to get it out of there. You need to get it out of the ground. <laughs> and so we had to dig it all early. And so it didn't really have time to put on that last month of really bulking up. How are the bulbs, though? We got a lot that were really good. And I definitely feel good about having enough to replant. We just got, you know, had enough to do quality replanting, have enough to sell. But it's not as much as we had last year. I mean, our harvest was, I want to say it was half as much, but it was... It was close that to... That heat event, just yeah. so yeah. many things affected by it. It really did. So it's, you know, it, I, it, that was a long answer to, it's not too late to plant garlic or bulbs. And I think a lot of bulbs yeah. have been delayed this year they with all have. these shipping delays. I mean, I'm still waiting mm-hmm. for, a, granted, a, a late, I put in the bulb mm-hmm. order kind of late, but it's out there. Mm-hmm. And clients that have ordered... Mm-hmm. A number of bulbs, yeah, and we, we've still got time. We've still got time, and we I do. think that a lot of the maybe the bulb companies are looking at our frost dates, mm-hmm. and as they're having difficulty getting things shipped out, they're probably getting things shipped out to the people that are going to frost earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just got um, some narcissus. Yeah. Bulbs that I'd ordered a while ago, and they just showed up, so that's yeah, great. That's but now of... I have to wait for it to stop raining. Yeah, I'm waiting on uh, some narcissus and some mm-hmm. snowdrops and mm-hmm. things, some things so like what, that. So what do you do for prepping, for planting bulbs? So, you know, back in the day, I used to, I, I use a, I often use a bulb planter, and I'm going off of that rule that we were just talking about, about planting the bulb three times the depth of the size of the bulb. Mm-hmm. Um and I have a bulb planter that's kind of a work it in and it pulls out a plug. Okay. I alternate between using that or just a trowel. Um, as a younger gardener, I would put bone meal into the hole or fertilizer into the hole and then put a little bit of soil on top and then put the bulb. These days, I make a hole for the bulb. Many of my garden spots I'm amending in the spring I'm amending in the fall I'm doing some of the same things that you are where I'm using Dirk Rohn's Turbo Grow every other season or in areas where I want to get annuals going or or different little sections where I want it to be a little bit richer mm-hmm. um, I don't necessarily need that off in the backs of the beds or where I have native small trees or shrubs or um so I'm digging holes for the bulbs. I'm popping them in. And at this point in time, I top dress. I top dress with an all-purpose fertilizer. Um, a lot of what I'm planting, because so many of the areas that I'm working with have deer coming into them. So a lot of what I'm planting are alliums in mm-hmm. the garlic family, but yeah. de- decorative alliums. Yeah. Or I, I honestly use a lot of elephant garlic. Oh, so beautiful when it blooms. It's gorgeous. And, um, you know, I have honey garlics, the Greek honey garlics, and things like that that I use because the deer don't come after them. Narcissus and uh, snowdrops are also families that I'm kind of trying to um, explore more. Those are things that have worked really well for me. They're deer-proof. Many of them naturalize. So I'm really kind of exploring into the bulb catalogs and trying to flesh out that bloom time by seeing ones that are blooming a little bit earlier or a little bit later, kind of taking stock through that season of 
I missing? You know, when could I have a little bit more action or kind of just looking through the snowdrop section in the bulb catalogs going, I didn't oh, even look. know there was a snowdrop section. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, there's more than one snowdrop? There is. There's a whole bunch of different what? kinds. It's true. And there's snowdrops. doubles and there's singles oh, and there's some so that are beautiful. hybridized. Um, you know, I, I often go for the non-hybridized selection species, tulips, um, you know, a lot of the species bulbs, but then it's fun to have some kind of showy things that people are trying out in different places. When you talk about things naturalizing, what do you mean by that? Oh, well that is, uh, and that's a great thing to look for in the bulb catalogs, and I've probably talked about this before, but you, when you're going into the bulb catalogs, you can see things that say self-naturalizing or naturalizing. Many of them are older varieties. Um, and what that means is that the bulbs will make more of themselves. And so after a certain amount of seasons, when you realize you have a, a really big clump of something or you know the snowdrops are oh wow that's really chunked out that you can go in there and actually dig that up and divide them and move them to other sections and and that's something that you can do now it's something that you can do when they're in the green after they've gotten done blooming but if you come across a giant or if you thought oh there's that giant chunk of daffodils over there that's been there for since I moved here, mm -hmm. you know, to get in there with a fork and work them, pop them out, you'll have Are a big clump. Are they usually in a, a big, it's a big the, clump? It, it's often a big clump. Maybe you'll have some smaller and some larger bulbs, but you can tease those apart and actually just space them out in that same spot or move them along into another similar spot in your garden or pass some along to a friend, trade for some bulbs that they have. That sounds really great. Yeah, trill even trillium. I know people are so spooked by trillium. Why, why would you be spooked by trillium? Well, just spooked in the way that, um, I don't know, I was brought up with a lot of folklore around trillium, that it takes them so many seasons before they'll bloom and you never pick a trillium. And But they are dividable. They are. Like if you have planted, if you've gone to your native plant nursery or you've gotten um, bulbs, native bulbs in the past like trillium at the native plant sales or at watershed gardens or some of our, our areas where they're available um, and they're seed grown and they do take quite a while to bloom from seed but if you have a, a clump that's chunking out it's totally okay to dig that and divide them and, and spread move, them and spread them yeah, and naturalizing just means that they'll kind of do that themselves. And they sort of take care of themselves. They can kind of take care of themselves. They can proliferate themselves from more bulb or from seed, some things. But man, is it fun to kind of help them. Even with the snowdrops with the seed capsules, and same thing with the trillium, I often let those seed capsules, you know, ripen on the plant. And then I'll actually go in there and give them a little bit of help to move along you know, three feet away from the... So drop the, the seed capsules exactly, a little bit exactly, further away. Exactly. Or take them into another section. Oh, I have this nice little shady 
zone over here that's really protected with a vine maple and there's kind of a environment that's happening under there already with leaf mulch and a mycelial network that's happening and I don't really disturb it too much. Maybe I put on a little extra um, compost at times or maybe I haul in more leaf mulch and, and, and layer that up. That's a great place to think about um, propagating bulbs from seed or taking some evergreen huckleberry seeds and scattering them under there. I know this time of year, as I'm working through a lot of my um, residential gardens, gardens, I am so uh, heartened or surprised sometimes as I'm getting in and maybe doing a little bit of cleaning or pruning and suddenly I see these little nurseries. You know, here's six evergreen huckleberries coming up. Here's, um, you know, some baby vine maples coming up. And I have a tendency to really leave those in th like in place for yeah. a couple of seasons. But then it's okay in the fall to go ahead and if, if things have matured for a couple of seasons in this little nursery space out in your garden, it's okay to lift those and, and move them around or maybe pot them up and have them in an area where you're, you're really looking at them for another season or two and then move them along either to friends or neighbors or other places in your garden. I just want to acknowledge that there's a buzzing going on in the, in the background and it is my phone. I have it on silent, but it's buzzing and I am so sorry about that. I should have left it now, in another room. Now see that Tony, the cat, was very good through this whole show. It was. And my tease phone. And then it was Jeez. my phone. I'm so sorry about that. I don't know if this can be edited out. Probably not. So anyway, you're just going to have to put up with the buzzing in the background. And I apologize. I'm, I'm very excited about this, like letting plants seed themselves and then, you know, nurturing them for a season or two, letting them grow on and then digging them up and moving them around. I actually had a bunch of um, big leaf maples that germinated on our farm that came in on, on a wood chip pile. Mm -hmm. There must have been seed in it. I mean, not everybody is going to want to plant a whole bunch of big leaf maples, certainly not in your home garden, no. but we have enough room on our property where I was like, I can totally absorb five or six big leaf maples yeah. and scatter them around. So this fall, this winter is when they're going to all go find their their separate homes. And, How exciting. Yeah, and it's I think that's an opportunity for people to look around in your gardens and think about what's germinating, what are you seeing, what are the little seedlings. I, I love it when plants kind of are their own nursery and you can just see what's there. And, and those, seed, those seed grown plants, even if we aren't doing it on purpose, mm -hmm. you know, those seed grown plants are a diversified selection of those plant people mm -hmm. and that that's that's an exciting thing to kind of just be able to monitor a little bit and and live with and look at and possibly do yourself in a flat later on um, those are great things to share with friends if you can't fit you know five or six evergreen huckleberries in your garden but I'm, your friends might really love that it's a beautiful plant Amazing berries, um, beautiful evergreen foliage. Yeah, and so. those, I mean, I, I love all kinds of plants, but those native plants are really getting me right now. I'm really thinking about uh, percentages in gardens and how much more can I 
actually fit in here. And if I have native plants that are seeding themselves, that yeah. seems so exciting. We, we're running out of time, Tina. I know, I know. Well, we're going to have to do another whole conversation about that. Now, we um, were going to talk about shrubs and trees, but that's going to have to be another trial. It's, it's going to have to be because this got totally diverted into bulbs and other things. Um, and growing your own plants. I, I guess what I, my final thought on plants that self-seed in your garden, especially if they're ones that you want to have self-seed, I mean, clearly these are plants that want to live in your exactly. garden. That are, that are probably going to do better. You. Yeah, because they are finding the environment they're appropriate. And um, so those are ones I think to save and, and allow to keep going. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to have this conversation, we're going to follow this conversation on soon because uh, it's, it's never, I mean, we never cover everything. I know. Jess, thank you oh, so thank much you, for this conversation. Thanks it was for really talking fun. about bulbs and biodiversity. Absolutely. Yeah. I know. And thank you to everybody for joining us today. I hope things are going well in your gardens and on your farms and out in the world. Um, just have a great autumn and enjoy this beautiful, dynamic season. <laughs> a very dynamic season. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. Cheers. Happy gardening. Thank you.